Hi, welcome back to the Future of Dermatology podcast. Today we have a fun episode. I am joined by Chandler Johnson, who is our wonderful medical student who also does everything else around here. And she'll do a quick intro of herself in a second. What we're doing is something fun. So Chandler has collected a group of questions that I haven't seen yet. And she is just going to ask me the questions. We're going to talk about them. Hopefully I have some good answers. So we'll just go right into it. Chandler, if you want to briefly introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So I'm Chandler Johnson, and I'm currently a research student at UCSF Dermatology with Dr. Vitani and Dr. Liao, also enjoying working with SF Derm and Dr. Farah. So I'm really happy to join you guys today talking about some of the FAQs and random questions that we can't wait to surprise you all with. So I feel like the first question that I have is really, really timely given this time of year. It's getting colder. We're about to be in winter. So I feel like a lot of people struggle with getting a winter skincare regimen going. People struggle with dry skin and other skin conditions that might flare during this time of year. So Dr. Farrow, what are some of your suggestions for people that might be wondering about what to do at this time of year? Ooh, that's a good question. That's when we get in clinic a lot. Regardless of patients, why there is a hair, they could be there for a skin cancer screening, for whatever. At the end, it's always like, what do I do for for this? Like that exact question. Um, so I think every dermatologist can can resonate with that. I think in the wintertime, one good thing actually in California is it doesn't get super cold. Of course, everyone on the East Coast will be a little bit different or in colder areas. Assuming you're in a cold area, um, you really just have to moisturize a lot more than you have done the rest of the year. And good moisturizers are the thicker stuff. So not the lotions, not the pumps, but the ones that like come in a tub. And the best time to moisturize is the minute being out of the shower. So don't use really heavy duty soaps in the shower. Use the, the good stuff that doesn't strip away all the natural oils off your skin. But within a minute of being out of the shower, just lather on a good moisturizer. You want stuff with like ceramides, hyaluronic acid. Um, and I'm sure when you see dermatologists, they'll give you a full list of all the things they like. The other piece I'll add, if you're up skiing, wear your sunscreen still. There's a lot of UV exposure up on the mountain. We see lots of skiers with like crazy skin cancers because over time they just didn't protect themselves on the mountain very much. Um, winter time, you probably need a lot of Vaseline Aquaphor around for just everything. So that's a good one to have around. The other piece I'll say around the holidays, a little bit more drinking happens. So just be conscious of that. Um, alcohol, there's all sorts of different things to to the body and to the skin. If you have specific conditions like rosacea, of course, it could flare it. If you have psoriasis, eczema, it can mess up your immune system, could flare some of that too. Or if you don't even have anything specific, it can just dry your skin out. So if you're drinking, just hydrate a lot. Also probably for other health reasons, but of course, we only care about skin. So. But yeah, but I could go on day and day, days about that. But that's a really good question. But she should we do like a whole episode about skin barrier. I love that. I love the, the suggestions. And I'm so happy that you brought up skiing because I definitely want to visit Tahoe since I'm out here on the West Coast. I have no excuse to not do that. Oh, you have to. <laughs> you mentioned like sun protection, protecting your skin while you're on the mountain. A lot of people have sensitivities to chemical sunscreens and might prefer mineral sunscreens. What are some of your suggestions on how to approach trying out sunscreens 
um, to protect your skin outdoors. The mineral sunscreens, ones with zinc oxide, titanium um, uh, dioxide, they're going to have broader coverage anyway. They're going to have broader UVA coverage. So it's probably even better to stick with the mineral sunscreens. And there's so many options now because in the past they used to be like really, they used to be like really white and pasty and hard to put on. But there's so many options. There's tinted mineral sunscreens now. There's a lot of good options out there. Anyone with like a specific sensitivity, I always recommend just testing everything. Good place to start. Test it on your forearm. A few days. If it's not too bad, put a little bit on your skin, on the face. Um, if anyone has really specific sensitivities, you just have to be kind of careful about that. Or just come and see us and we can patch test you and give you a whole list of things you can use. Awesome. I know we've talked quite a bit about skin and ways to protect your skin this time of year. What about our hair and our nails too? True. Yeah. Hair and nails as well. Hair can get dry. Nails can get dry. Um, we see a lot of, I feel like every other patient probably also asks us about hair loss and it's always like your whole visit is has been completed and you've addressed the things the visit was for, but there's always that question about hair. Um, nails is a tough one. Nails really, it's just a long game of don't dry out your nails too much over decades. So just be really careful and mindful of all the hand washing we're doing, all the gels we're putting on our hands and skin. Um, and if you have to do it, obviously you have to wash hands, moisturize a lot after it. Um, and if anybody has any specific like sensitive skin, just carry around your own moisture or cleansers with you. Like just put on, put some CeraVe or Cetaphil cleansers with you, take them around with with you wash your hands with that um, as opposed to all the like harsh antimicrobial soaps that are everywhere and that'll help the nails um, there's evidence for biotin for nails there's some evidence for collagen for nails oral collagen and hair too um, oral collagen is a little bit tricky there's a lot of studies that show you ingest it by mouth gets broken up in your gi system doesn't really make it to your skin and hair but some types of collagen are a little bit better like varisol collagen has a lot of um data that um it, it, it can actually get into the nail i mean into the skin and and hair so so lots of, kind of different things there just kind of take care of the hair take care of the skin and and nails moisturize a lot and i think the common theme is protect the barrier <laughs> and if you're able to protect the skin barrier you're um uh you'll you'll basically have have a, like, pre a lot of prevention so you don't have to do a lot of things later on to fix Amazing. So what if we have reached the point where someone has hair loss? And I know there's so many different types of hair loss, but I've heard options like PRP and other topical agents being thrown around as potential solutions. So say a patient comes to you and they're really concerned about this particular issue. What is a way that you approach a patient and what are some of your common solutions that you might offer to them? Yeah. So we see a lot of hair loss in our clinics two big categories. One is scarring versus kind of non-scarring. Um, scarring is a whole other world and lots of different things to do with that. If we stick to non-scarring and specifically androgenetic alopecia within that, which is just that like regular hair loss that happens with time and genetics, um, really cool research around um, like clocked genes where your, your hair also, uh, kind of cells have these genes where it just gets turned on by time. So, because people are like, why didn't they have this? And it just started and it just, yeah, they had, kind of had its own timer. Life stressors will increase um, uh, that happening, like just, just stress, uh, weight loss, 
uh, fl- a bad flu hospitalization, things like that can kind of just whatever stresses your body can uh, accelerate that process. But assuming you have androgenic alopecia, you're losing a bit of hair. The most you know, number one thing we kind of all recommend is like a minoxidil 5%, unless you have contraindications to it. That's topical. It works well. It's available everywhere. Um, there are some supplements that are helpful. They have some data that that they work. Then you can see us and we can put you on some tablets, whether they're hormonally um, driven or block DHT, et cetera. We can also compound higher strengths of minoxidil and other uh, ingredients. Um, there are some like red light lasers that people use that probably has the least data out of everything we do, but some people do love those at home. PRP, we do a lot of in clinic. PRP is platelet-rich plasma. It works really, really well. We basically take your blood, spin spin it down, take the growth factors, and inject it right back in around your hair follicles. We also do PRP for skin, too, just rejuvenation. So biostimulation is is like a really big um, big thing. We should actually do a whole episode on that, too. Biostimulation in, in the future of of dermatology um, and other fields as well. Biostimulation is just like a really, really cool, cool field of where we can get your own body to grow things for us. That's really fascinating. And I can't wait to learn more about that from you in the future. Thanks for your insights, because I feel like this is a really important question that a lot of patients have. Um, So continuing on speaking about hair, speaking about the scalp, some people might be struggling with dandruff this time of year. So what are some of the options for patients that come to you and are worried about flaky or itchy scalps? Yeah, dandruff is an interesting one because a lot of times you feel like it's like common sense. But then when you say it to people, some people are like, I don't have dandruff. I just have dry dry scalp, for example. Um, or the other thing that culturally I see is like these movements of not washing your hair enough or like the no shampoo shampoos. Or the no, what was it called? Like the no poo, whatever, the no shampoo things. And it's like, why would you do that? Why would you not cleanse your scalp? So we all create, we have um, oil that accumulates on our scalp. And then we have things like malassezia that will kind of feed off of that um, on our scalp. So if if we're not taking care of the hygiene of our scalp, you're going to throw off the balance and you're going to end up getting inflammation and scaling and even hair loss. If your scalp is inflamed enough, you'll lose hair. Yep. Sorry, light, light sensitive. Um, so the main thing I would say is just wash your hair at regular intervals. I wouldn't follow these kind of fads. Um, and then if you do have a little bit of dandruff, of course, start with an over-the-counter. There's lots of anti-dandruff shampoos. If you're using them all the time, rotate them around every few months just because your scalp can get used to them. So rotate them around. If you want super, um, like natural options, you could even dilute down a little bit of like apple, apple cider vinegar or white vinegar, put on the scalp. That'll work too, just to take down some of that malassezia. I love hearing about some of the potential over-the-counter remedies too that we can suggest that don't have to be prescription-based. So we've talked a little bit about hair. Let's return to nails. I feel like with the holiday season, a lot of people like getting their manicures and pedicures done for all the holiday parties. So there's so many different options when an an individual goes to the salon from SNS nails to gel to acrylic how do you feel about these manicure options and how it relates to the health of the nail yeah the world of nails and the things we do to our nails is really really interesting um 
from one aspect, I'll say we should actually put up images almost if I can find some. We see crazy contact dermatitis sometimes to these types of procedures and um, eyelid dermatitis is a really high one we see, especially like in the winter time when people don't really realize that, but sometimes your nail care habits are kind of what's leading to the eyelid dermatitis, like we'll patch test someone and what will show up is things that were actually in their nails because of course you're touching your eyes and um, the eyelid is just thin skin because others might say, well, why are you not inflamed on the hands or on the face elsewhere? But eyelids are thin skin. And so if you're going to get a contact allergen, it'll just take up more allergen into the skin. But yeah, all sorts of crazy stuff. We can see inflammation that happens from nails. If you're doing a whole lot of gel nails, make sure you're getting like the LED light, not the UV, because that'll just kind of, um, that can cause uh, sun damage as well, UV damage onto your skin. You can almost put sunscreen, I guess, on your skin, but like who's going to go that far? Plus also before they do the massaging and the whole like hot water, which is the fun part. So that, that doesn't work as well. Uh, so make sure they have like the LED light that you're putting your hands in just so you're not get, accumulating more UV damage on the hands. Infections happen, of course. We see lots of crazy infections in the nails, fungal infection, bacterial infections, um, warts, viral infections as well. So lots of crazy things that can happen. But even with that, lots of people get things done to their nails. Um, just be careful with it. Give your nails some breaks in between just so you're not traumatizing them and dehydrating them too frequently. But yeah, we see a whole lot of nail problems that have been created, like self-created. Very interesting. I'm curious, have you heard of the Russian manicure trend going on right now? Oh, what's the Russian manicure trend? So I've seen this quite a bit on social media, but it's a beauty trend right now. Um, it It's controversial, but it's um, a favorite of some celebrities where it's sort of a dry manicure where the cuticle is trimmed away or they use sort of a Dremel-like device to push cuticle back to be able to paint the polish all the way back as far as they can. And it's supposed to prolong the life or longevity of that manicure. But now that you brought up, you know, risk of infection, that's sort of what that brings to mind like a nightmare yeah <laughs> everybody stop doing that stop the no poo movement stop whatever this is <laughs> you know there's a lot of ads that kind of happen and they're usually harmless and the patients will ask us about it um like the snail mucin everyone's loving the snail mucin right now like eh, you can look it up it's kind of harmless you can see how it might have some exploitive properties like fine but something like this where you're really altering I actually tell my patients, if you're getting your nails done, make sure they don't go too crazy on the cuticle. This seems to be the other end. I do, from a vanity standpoint, though, kind of get the logic because, you know, you when you get your gel nails done and you're like, oh, I can already see a little bit of like a rim there. That's gonna, that's not going to last that long. So I see the logic of why you would do that. But the and you're probably fine 80% of the time. But the few times that if you get a bad infection, chronic paronychia, which is where the cuticle separates and it separates enough for a little bit of yeast collects in there and you just cannot get it to reconnect. Um, it's a big problem. And, and then over time, you damages your matrix, which is your matrix is right under your cuticle. I think what people don't realize is the living part of your nail is right under your cuticle. And it's very important. If you damage it, you damage your nail permanently. 
So like if we're doing a biopsy here, we sometimes will attempt it or we'll even send it to our most surgeons who just really know this anatomy really well. So we're like super careful not to mess around in there. So I'm like, let's not have just people going in there with harsh, harsh instruments. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'll avoid that trend. I know nothing about this trend, but I'm going to make a complete, a complete <laughs> opinion about it. Don't do it. Okay, perfect. We'll spread the word. So returning to, you know, social media, I found out about this trend, this Russian manicure trend, like on Instagram. And I did mention it's controversial, but a lot of times these opinion pieces are not by dermatologists, they're by other social media influencers. And I feel like with, you know, the rise of popularity of skincare regimens, a lot of the information that we as lay people get is from social media or the internet, not from dermatologists. So what do you foresee um, in, in the future in terms of patients getting their information on derm-related questions? That is such a good question, actually, that gets at like a really big problem um, currently. And at, we've talked before about the healthcare movement of going from like healthcare 1.0 with like very little versions of things like this to now healthcare 5.0 where it's like AI and the most high tech things possible. Somewhere around healthcare 2.0, healthcare 3.0, and this kind of mirrors the technological um, kind of uh, advances as well. Somewhere around healthcare 3.0, internet started coming in, social media, doctors being um, graded like almost like Yelp style, things that we've never had before. But these things have happened in such a quick time span, like 2016 to 2017 to now, like that's not that much time versus we just had our eczema symposium where it was like 100 years of SFDERM. So like, you know, you look at 100 years, like 1921 to now, and then all this other stuff has happened since like 2017. It's not a lot of time for us to like digest it and adapt to it. Um, but the reality is, and I think every doctor has to just know this now, patients are getting their education online. They're getting it on social media, 100%. That's not changing. It's actually going to increase. So that's why I think platforms do really well now that bring telehealth to consumers because at least you're kind of pairing telehealth with some level of um, like a provider because people want that. That's where they're going. The On the other hand of it, like, you know, on the other side, derms are busy. So when you're approached with a question from like a reporter on something, I think get back to it in a timely manner. I think it's important to know reporters are on deadlines. If we want our voices heard, we have to prioritize these things, like make sure we're getting our quote in there versus sometimes they see a quote and I'm like, who is that person? Who are they quoting? Then there's the other thing of just completely, you know, non-doctors just putting up posts and videos and being very authoritative about the way they're speaking. Doctors being on social media is kind of a strange world because I think a lot of doctors don't feel comfortable doing it there's like a handful that are doing it really well and like succeeding at it and then there are the other majority who just are kind of uncomfortable and maybe it's just like they're shy and it's not our what we're comfortable with then there's like really critics too there are physicians who are like doctors should not be you know doing this and that some of it is probably true there's doctors kind of like doing the crazy tiktok dances and stuff like that great i think on your personal time but it's true as a physician i think some guidelines around that would be helpful. It's kind of like the, the etiquette, I guess, the social media etiquette. And where is that fine line of um, 
And I think like traditional paternalism of medicine is gone within a good thing too. That's a good thing. You don't want like, you know, the doctor just come in and be like, this is it. And I know, and then this leave. But then along that path, I think doctors kind of have to reimagine the culture and say, well, what does it mean now? Like, sure, we're not that strict paternalist doctor that comes in. A lot of doctors don't look like that anymore either, right? They might maybe look like me. I'm like, hey, I'm a doctor, I'm here. <laughs> so, but somewhere between all these good changes that are happening, it's also like, how do we interface with social media? How, how do you kind of get on there and get the information out, but still keep up the integrity of what it means to be a physician and a professional? So I just think we could talk about that for hours too. And we should. Let's do another episode. All these questions. I'm like, let's do a whole episode on this. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said about that actually, but the fact of it is we need to be on social media because that's where our patients are. We just need to figure out how to do it and what we feel comfortable with. That's so interesting and so well put. I'm really excited to see what the future holds for that particular platform for physicians in the future. Um, I think it's really important that we're able to really promote and disseminate that evidence-based information so patients really get the best information, the highest quality, most factual responses to all their FAQs. So hopefully we're able to balance that while maintaining the viewership and keeping the, the audience engaged too. So that's all very, very exciting stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I think we should do w way more of these. <laughs> and I think we should just solicit more more questions too. Yeah, I love it. Do you I, think I can get um, Katie and Peyton involved as well. I know we're always going to be chatting, taking notes. You guys are Thank you. <laughs> so much for coming up with all of the questions that the three of you have. And this has been so much fun, hopefully educational. Um, and that wraps up this session of our Ask Me Anything. We'll hopefully do another one in the future. And I just want to do a huge thank you to Chandler Johnson for putting this on. Um, and thank you guys again for joining us on the future of cotton dermatology. Mm -hmm.